Who do you work for, really? Each one of us has a calling. Have you heard this before? Your workplace is your mission field, wherever that may be. You either work for him or work against him, but you work for someone. Who do you really work for? Is it your clients, your boss, your family, yourself, or your Lord? This isn't a trick question. There is a right answer. You're either all in or all out. Are you for him? I am. In fact, I work for him. Hey, Jim, who do you work for? I work for him. I work for Jesus Christ. I want to be your hands. Let me introduce you to the host of the I Work For Him show, Jim Brangenberg. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You've tuned into the I Work For Him radio show with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Take a minute and listen. I Work For Him, it's not a program that you sign up for. It's a mentality. It's a way of living. It's a permanent shift in your Christ-following paradigm. It's a revolution that's happening in the workplace, and it's about bringing the kingdom of God into places where the kingdom is is ignored. Keep in mind that your existence in your workplace, it's not by chance. It doesn't matter what you do or where you do it. Whether you're a pastor, a car mechanic, an attorney, a teacher, a mom, a used car salesperson, your work, it matters to God. And he expects you to be his representative in your workplace. And in your workplace, to recognize that that's your mission field. And in that mission field, you may be the only Jesus your coworkers and employees may ever meet. Now, I know you've heard me say this tons and tons of times, but every day we need to be reminded that going to work is not just to draw paychecks so we can buy groceries. Going to work every day is an opportunity to be a light for Christ. Each day on the I Work For Him show, we try to bring you the practical, the tactical, the factual, and the biblical ways to incorporate your faith into your workplace. I don't come to you as an expert. I don't come to you as somebody that's got this all figured out. I'm just one guy trying to live my life transparently so that you can maybe gain something in order to be an effective witness for Christ in your workplace. Our paradigm shift is described like this. Romans 12.2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Welcome to the I Work Ram Zone. I hope you're never the same. Every day we try to have fantastic guests on here that'll challenge the way you and I think about our workplace being our mission field, and today is no different than any other day, except for we have a very special guest, Hugh Welshel. Hugh is the director, the founder of the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics, and I ran into Hugh about a year ago, a little over a year ago, and it's a fantastic organization, and we've done many shows with not only Hugh, but several of his incredible people on his staff. And we wanted to bring Hugh back because he was feeling like he was getting neglected. So Hugh Welsh, welcome back to I Work For Him. Thank you. It's great to be here again. You know, we're just, you know what, you're do- what you guys are doing at the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics is so fascinating, and it's so intense. I-, I just, I love what you're doing. I can't wait for people to hear. But before they hear about the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics and your this book, this new release of Monday Morning Success, where people can get a free copy out there on mondaymorningsuccess.com, talk to me about how Christ is making a difference in your life today. I tell you, God's so blessed us and what we're doing, and I started this organization actually almost four years ago now, and it's amazing how things have come together. Like you said, we have an incredible staff, and it's just an incredible blessing. I get to travel a lot. I get to talk to people all over the United States. I get to see what's happening. 
how God's moving in cities all over the United States, particularly around this idea of faith, work, and integrating those two. It's just really exciting to be, uh, to be alive and be doing this. Now, at the same time, God's working in your work life, but you're married, you've got kids. You, you know, last time we were talking, you were building a house, which I'm trying to figure out how in the world you're doing all that and launching this organization. <laughs> I wondered how I did it as well. <laughs> did you ever finish the house? Are you still well, living in the tent out front? We, we moved in on Christmas Eve, uh, last Christmas, and then my wife cooked Christmas dinner for all of our uh, kids and our grandkids. How she did that, I do not know. But I told her the other day, I think I'll probably get the house done about the time Jesus comes and takes me home. <laughs> In other words, I don't think it'll ever be done completely. We still have a lot of work to do, but it's uh, God's really blessed us. It's a great place, great place to get all the family together, which is really kind of what we, why we built it. So it's, it's been quite a blessing. So you think that's the key to getting all your kids to come home for Christmas is, is having a big place? Because my kids are now in, you know, four hours away, 26 hours away, and 28 hours away. Oh, I'm thinking wow. maybe it was something I said. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with this empty nester thing, and I don't like it. I, 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 I hear that. I hear that. Well, I'll, ask me in a year or two, and I'll tell you if it works or not. <laughs> I will do that. I will do that. All right, so talk to us about the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. Talk to us about what that's all about. Yeah, we started this institute about four years ago with the idea that one of the big problems in our culture today is that the culture has taught us how to segment all the different pieces of our lives. We box off or silo all these different people, uh, different people, different places, different, uh, you know, what we do in our lives. And as a result, uh, particularly, it's affected our Christianity. What's happened is we've developed this kind of secular spiritual mentality. And we say some things in our life are spiritual, like church. Other things, like our work, are secular. Now, the problem with that is that if you go look in the Old Testament, you will not find the word spiritual any place in the Old Testament. Why is that? Because to them, it was, it was a non-starter. Everything was spiritual. They did not separate the spiritual from the secular. That was not in the Old Testament mindset at all. And if you go to the New Testament, same thing. They saw everything being done. This is what Paul says, do everything to the glory of God. It's a terrible thing that's kind of crept into our Christianity, and it's caused all sorts of problems in our lives in the way that God would like us to be discipled. All right, we're talking today with Hugh Welshel. He founded the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics about four years ago. And if you really want to find out more about him, you just got to go online to tifwe.org, T-I-F-W-E, the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics, dot O-R-G. All right, you wrote, success is one of these elusive objects. And I know that because of my own life, as I read Halftime in 2004, talked about the difference between success and significance, and I knew that success in my own life was elusive. I could chase it, chase it, chase it, but it never seemed to be satisfied. But your talk, you wrote an article about Monday morning success, how biblical stewardship transforms your work. Talk to me about what's this article all about? Well, I tell you, for 30 years I was a business guy, and I struggled as a Christian to understand what does success look like in my business life. I would sit and hear a sermon about, um, you, you know, the preacher would say, you need to learn how to be content. And I'd walk out and I would think, does that mean that I don't need to go out and work hard and try to win that next job and try to grow my company and hire more people and employ more people. And I was, I was just really confused about how all that worked. So as a result, I kind of, you know, bought in a little bit to the kind of the success mantra that's put out there by the culture because I did not hear anything 
uh, in the church that really helped me understand what success would look like for me in the business world. So really, I struggled with it for many, many years. And then one time I was doing a Bible study for a Sunday school class I was teaching on the parable of the talents. And interesting enough, God revealed to me some interesting things about success. And I think it's applicable to almost everybody in the business world. Let's just dig through this article. That's what I, I kind of want to dig through. I wrote the questions based on just kind of leading through. It's not a long book, but it's got a lot of meat in it in those, in those few pages. So let's just start about the lie, the lie that we've all been taught yes. in the United States of America. You can be anything you want to be. You can be the best in the world. Be all you can be. In the Army Reserves. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's right. Well, and unfortunately, we most of us have been told that since we were in grade school, that you can be anything that you want to be, and that you can be best in the world. And interesting enough, these are lies that the culture tells us over and over again. There's an interesting article that I quote in the, um, in the book, and it's actually from a very, very popular uh, business book. This little small business book by a well-known author actually sold 100,000 copies the first uh, three weeks it was in publication. Let me read you what he says. He said, Hannah Smith is a very lucky woman. She's a law clerk at the Supreme Court. She's the best in the world. Next year, or excuse me, last year, more than 42,000 people graduated from law school in the United States, and 37 of them were awarded Supreme Court clerkships. Now, here comes the lie. Any one of those 42,000 who graduated from law school last year could have had Hannah's job. And then he, he builds a whole book on that false premise. And we hear this over and over and over again in the culture. I mean, you know, sitting here, everybody in the audience knows that all 42,000 of those couldn't have had her job. I mean, there's one guy out there who graduated from, from a law school that no one's ever heard of, and he was last in his class. There's no way. He was lucky just to get through law school. There's no way he's going to be a clerk at the Supreme Court. But yet, this lie is told over and over. We tell it to our kids in, in grade school. We tell it to our kids in college. We even tell it to our kids in church. We advertise it on television. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I mean, right. It's, it's crazy. And yet, until I read that by you last year when we first talked about this article, I'm like, wow, I never really thought about that fact. I mean, I know. I know I'm not going to be the next Bill Gates. First of all, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to have to have the responsibility of $74 billion. I, I don't want that responsibility. But I know I'm not that smart. I know I wasn't going to be Steve Jobs. I knew I didn't have his kind of guts. But neither of those guys talked on the radio. So I got that over him. Okay, it's none of them. They didn't have a radio show. Uh, so how uh, I want to break it out. We're, uh, let's talk about I want to jump ahead a little bit with you because you, you refer to the parable of talents. And when you wrote what you wrote in there about the parable of talents, it made me laugh out loud because because you make the comment just like I, I, you realize you weren't a five talent guy. <laughs> That's right. That you were a three talent guy. All right. So you referenced the parable of the talents as Jesus's way to teach Christians how to live and work in the time between when he left the earth and when he returns. That's right. How does the parable go, and how does it deal with the biblical meaning of success? Well, most of us know this parable. It's a very famous parable. A man, a master, the master is getting ready to go on a long journey. He takes three of his servants, servants gives one five talents, gives one two talents, one gives one one talent, and then he leaves. And he tells them to invest it and use those talents wisely. Now, here's the interesting thing about that part of the story. If you look in the text, it actually says he gave one five, one three, excuse me, one five, one two, one one, 
each according to his own ability. Now, that alone you could not do today because that's not politically correct. If we were writing this story in today's um, time, what would we have to do? We'd have to give everybody three talents, right? They'd all have to get the same. It'd be unfair to give one, one more than the other. But see, the master knew the capability of each of the, each of the servants. He knew the guy had five could do more with it. And so, therefore, he gave him more resources. Now, partly in our culture, we think that's just not fair. But in God's economy, that's the way things work. All of us have different talents. Some of us have more talents than others. I tell people, you know, the Bill Gates of the world, those are five-talent guys. You know, I'm, I'm a two-talent guy. But, see, I think the secret, as we'll talk about in a minute, to this parable is once you understand what God is trying to tell you, it takes the burden and the responsibility and the pressure off you to do things that you cannot possibly do and helps you lead a filling and successful life once we get the correct understanding of success. Well, and I think it's so important to understand that even the one-talent guy got the equivalent of about a million dollars. That's right. That's right. People don't know what the, what the talent is worth, but a talent in today's dollars is about a million dollars. You know, I used to hear that story, and I really felt sorry for the guy who got one talent. <laughs> but, you know, what can you do with one crummy little coin? In my mind, he got one little coin. That guy got a million dollars, and he buried it in the backyard. No wonder the master was a little upset with him. Well, and I think, you know, a lot of... I was having a conversation today with a certified financial planner that I'm friends with, and we talked. We got talking about this uh, this parable, and we just talked about. And, and this person said to me, "Listen, I believe God would be mad if we buried the, our money in a non-income producing account. I believe God wants us to make money. He doesn't want us to lose money with the money that He's given us. He wants us that's to right. make money with it. And and that's and we got talking about the one talent guy. I mean, he took a million bucks and buried it for a yeah, lifetime. That's basically. right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. When the master comes back, the five-talent guy, he's made five more talents. And the master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The guy that had two talents, he's made two more talents. The master says, well done, my good and faithful servant. The guy that didn't do anything, he gets in real trouble. And most of the sermons you hear about this parable it focuses on the guy that did poorly. We shouldn't look at him. We should look at the two guys that did well. They're the example that we want to emulate. So what did they do right? They took what God had given them, they put it to work, and they brought the master a return on his investment. God wants a return on his investment from everyone listening to this broadcast. And that sometimes is not going to be what we think it is. No, it's so it's so so true. All right, we're talking with Hugh Welshel today about his book Monday Morning Success, and you can get a copy, free copy, of the ebook today. Go online to MondayMorningSuccess.com. MondayMorningSuccess.com. Hugh, you say in the article that personal success and achievement lead to a sense that we ourselves are God, that our security and value rest in our wisdom, strength, and performance. This seems like a pretty natural reaction to success. But there's a whole bunch of danger in there, isn't there? Absolutely, absolutely. The reality is we as Christians need to avoid getting sucked into this cultural understanding of success where we compare ourselves to other people and understand the biblical meaning of success. And I think the key to understanding that is understanding what happens in the story. You've got the one servant that gets five talents. He's rewarded for being obedient and faithful with what God gave him. The next um, 
Servant was also successful. He didn't get as many talents, but he was also successful in using his talents successfully. So he's rewarded. Now, here's the interesting thing. If you compare the reward that God gives both of them, or that the master gives both of them, who we know is God, it's the same. They're both told, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. Now, you say, wait a minute. Shouldn't we reward the guy that made the five talents? He doubled his money. I mean, he got five talents. He made $5 million. I mean, this is a story about great wealth production. Shouldn't he be rewarded more than the other guy, even though the other guy was successful? He brought the master a lot less money. But see, here's the key to understanding this story. How much effort did it take for the five-talent guy to produce five more talents? A lifetime. 100%. He had to work as hard as he possibly could. The second guy that takes the three talents and makes three more talents, how hard did he have to work? 100%. He had to work just as hard as the first guy. Therein lies the secret. God rewards the effort, not the final product. That's why if the one-talent guy had been faithful and worked as hard as he could and produced one more talent, he would have been rewarded exactly the same as the five-talent guy. See, the reality is the way God looks at success We have to not look at what other people are doing, but we have to look at what God has given us, what he's given us in resources, what he's given us in talents, what he's given us in opportunities, and then we have to maximize the return on what he's given us. He will give us everything we need to do what he's called us to do. Our job is to be faithful and work as hard as we can to do that. And if we do, he will bless us. And so, so see, we've got to get away from this idea that I'm going to compare myself to you or to someone that's out there making a billion dollars a year. Um, No, I don't compare myself to anybody. All I do is is work as hard as I can to be faithful to God with what he gives me. And if I will do that, when this is all said and done, he will come to me and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. I don't know about you, but that's what I want to hear Absolutely. when I stand face-to-face with the master. You know, Hugh, what I hear you saying is that God measures success differently than man. Absolutely. So and let's, we should let's talk too. about that. Let's talk about how what that really looks like, because I think we need to spell that out a little bit more. Yes, no, absolutely, absolutely. I think what we have to do is we have to understand when we work. And see, and see this is another thing. I, I, talk, I hear people talk about this all the time. When you go to work, whether you're a plumber or you're a CPA or you're a stay-at-home mom, you know, when you're working in, in what God's called you to in terms of your vocation, there's two important things that you need to be doing. The first thing, and you mentioned this early and you kind of lead into the show, is that we need to be a witness to what Christ has done in our lives. And I hear a lot of people say that's what all work is. All work's just a, a platform to witness to, to, for, for, about Christ, and of course that's true. But see, there's another piece of this that we often overlook, and that's the idea that there's intrinsic value to God in the work you do, even if no one else ever sees it. And I, somebody asked me the other day, they said, Hugh, how can that be true? And I said, well, let me show you where it says in the Bible, Genesis 2.15, God put Adam in the garden to work it and to take care of it. That was before the fall. There was no evangelism then. So, so what God, when he put Adam in the garden to work it and take care of it, God had to have seen intrinsic value. What Adam was doing was important to God, even though it wasn't a witness to anything. So we have to understand that our work obviously witnesses toward Christ, but it also is intrinsically valuable to God. So when you go into work, 
even when no one's watching you, you still work with excellence. You still work the best that you can because, as Paul tells us, everything we do is to glorify God, not man. Well, and, and I think really what we're fighting is the common misperception of what you just addressed there. Most people, I mean, most people grow up thinking that work was a result of the fall. That's right. That's exactly and there's right. this common misperception, and there's and really in today's society, certainly in the United States of America, that work and making money is evil. I mean, right. I mean, that it's every day on the news you're hearing the, right. the, the media pounding big big companies, and, and everybody seems to forget they get caught up in like, oh, this company did this. Let me just draw perspective. Companies employ people. That's right. Right here in Tampa Bay, some a, a company was shutting down and laid off 154 people today. Those are 154 families that have been impacted. Yep. Let's stop bashing the companies and recognize that that's who feeds you, people. That's right. I mean, come that's on. Exactly right. So how did you, and i got to be honest with you, when I, when I first read your book, How Then Should We Work, which people can get a 25% discount buying that book if they go out to MondayMorningSuccess.com. Yes. They can get that link and get that discount. Yes. But, you know, when I first read that book, I had never understood our first calling. I yes. never understood, what do you call it? Uh, the cultural, the cultural mandate. mandate. I was getting yep. to my notes. Yep. Okay, the cultural mandate. I never understood yep. that. I had yep. never heard a sermon yep. on the cultural mandate. And it's unfortunate because we've kind of forgotten that thing. But if you look in Genesis 1, the first chapter of the Bible, you see the creation story. And you see that God creates man in his own image. And then he comes to man and woman, to Adam and Eve, and tells them their job description. He says, I want you to do two things. I want you to fill the earth with my images. And the second thing I want you to do, I want you to subdue the earth, make it, make it enjoyable for human habitation, you know, build things, uh, build culture, you know, do things to make this world a nicer place to live in so that everyone flourishes. I mean, that's God's intent for his creation, for, for, was it for, to, for it to flourish. Now, when the fall comes, we see that both of those things get harder. Childbirth becomes more difficult. Filling the earth with God's images is more difficult. And we have to work because of the sweat, you know, through the sweat of our brow. Work becomes difficult. There are weeds in our garden. But the culture mandate doesn't go away. In fact, it's the gospel that brings us back to this original calling. And it's twofold. It's the first thing that we have to do is fill the earth with God's redeemed images. And the second thing we have to do is work to subdue the earth, to make the earth a better place for people to live. Those are the two things that we're to do while we're on this earth. And once you get that straight, once you realize that's God's intent for his people here on the face of the earth, then you realize it's not either or my job, not just about evangelism. Of course it's about evangelism. But it's also about this idea of working to bring about flourishing to, to people in the community, some of which may never know Christ. And, and what I love about what you're saying is that we can rejoice and enjoy our work. We don't have to. We don't have to be worrying about sharing our faith every moment of the day. We That's can right. really do a fantastic job in what we're doing. Be a person of excellence in our position, right. no matter what we do. And that gives glory to the Lord. It also gives us an opportunity to shine like a light. To Absolutely. be a light in our workplace, because people are going to look at you and go, what's wrong with you? Why are you working that That's way? That's right, because the reality is what you do speaks much louder than what you say.
We're talking with Hugh Welshel today on I Work For Him. He's from the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics, and he wrote this great little ebook called Monday Morning Success. And I'd like to invite you to go out to the website, mondaymorningsuccess.com, mondaymorningsuccess.com, and get a free copy of this book. All right, Hugh, as we talked the Reformation, and it wasn't until I read your book, How Then Should We, Should we Work, that I understood that the Reformation, I always thought the Reformation was just people rebelling against the Catholic Church. And really, that was some of what it was, yeah. but but it was the fact that, that Martin Luther was like, hey, wait a minute, the, the scriptures really don't say that there's hierarchies in, in in God's kingdom on on who's more powerful and who's more important than other people, that all of our work mattered to God. That's right, that's right. You see, in the you know, 1200s, 1300s, 1400s, the Catholic Church had uh, kind of developed this, this uh, theology, if you will, about work that said only the priests have spiritual jobs. Everyone else's job is secular. You see, the whole secular spiritual vibe was very, very uh, apparent to them, right? and, and that lie had really been embraced. And Martin Luther comes along and says, wait a minute, that's not what the Scripture says. That's not what the Bible says. One of my favorite quotes of Martin Luther, he says, the work of the milkmaid is just as important to God as the work of the priest. Now that was Harrison. <laughs> he must have really ticked some people today. off. Boy, he must have really ticked some people off of that they, one. They got very upset with him. Mm, wow, I just can't even imagine. I just can't even imagine. All right, I interrupted. I'm sorry. Just uh, when, just the thing, the thoughts of of that super huge church getting told off by this one guy. And I I, I know that they really didn't like Martin Luther, but for him to say, listen. The milkmaid, which was mostly women, that's right. Uh, was that her job was just as important as the priest? Wow. Okay. All right. So get back under your thought. I apologize for interrupting. Well, and, and like I say, the same thing is true today, right? How many times have you heard when someone say, "Did you hear about John Smith? He quit his job at the bank to go into full-time Christian service." What Martin Luther was telling us, you know, uh, 500 years ago, and it's, we need to hear it again today. And this is what the Scripture says. You know, all of our work is full-time Christian service when seen from the proper perspective, from the perspective of Scripture. And that's what we have to embrace. So, so you know, you could be—so so John could have served God just as much in the, in the bank as he could in the mission field. Now, that being said, God calls people to go to the mission field all the time. And I know some people he's called back out of the mission field and sent back into the workplace. That happens too. So you always have to be prepared to be uh, ready to go wherever he sends you. And like I said, that might be in, into, into a foreign country. What I see now a lot of times is business guys go to foreign countries not to necessarily be traditional missionaries, but they go there just to help people start businesses. What an incredible way to use the talents God's given them to help God's people in other places be more successful. Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it's a whole different way of looking at our work. It, it is. You know, I have, I've had a group on my show several times from Cheetah Development. Yep. Cheetah Development. I know those and, guys. and they're going into Tanzania, yep. and they're building economies in yep. small towns. Really, they're building small towns, like small-town America. They're reproducing that in Tanzania. Yep. And, and at the same time, they're, they're, they're giving people jobs and lifting them out of poverty and feeding them and clothing them. And now they get an opportunity for the local pastors who are already there to really share the That's gospel right. with these That's people. Right. It's incredible. Hey, in your, in your book, Monday Morning Success, you quote John Piper. 
Calvin's doctrine of vocation follows from the fact that every person, great and small, lives in the divine presence. God's sovereign purposes govern the simplest occupation. I love that. Even radio guys. He attests to everyone's work. This yielded the Protestant work ethic. Huge benefits flow from a cultural shift in which all work is done earnestly and honestly with an eye to God. The Protestant work ethic, wasn't that what really drove the settling of the United States of America? Absolutely. Let me tell you an interesting story. One of my favorite historians is not a Christian. He's a guy named Niall Ferguson. He's a, he's a conservative. He teaches at Harvard. He's a Scot. Um, but he wrote a book about Western civilization. He said Western civilization was one of the best civilizations ever because it had four killer apps. He uses the computer technology, right? Now, here's the interesting thing. This guy's not a Christian. He says he's an agnostic, but he, he's, a, he's a student of history. And what he says, one of the six killer apps that the Western civilization had that no other civilizations had that made it so successful was, guess what? The Protestant work ethic. And he says the Protestant work ethic built Europe, came across the, United, the, the ocean to the United States, built Europe. He says you can't find a trace of it in Europe anymore. You can barely find a trace of it here in the United States. But then he says something very interesting, and I don't know if I agree with him 100%. Remember, he's not a Christian. He's just looking at the way things work. He says it's still alive and well. Guess where? In China. And he suggests the rise in Christianity has been followed by the rise of capitalism in, in China. Interesting idea. I, like I said, I don't know if that's true or not. But it's fascinating. Here you have a man who's not even a Christian, who's just observing what happened in the world. And he says this is one the Protestant work ethic built Europe, built the United States. It's amazing. So how has the Protestant work ethic gotten twisted? Because I, I'm not sure people understand. I mean, just describe what it is, yes, and then how it's gotten twisted in today's world. Yeah, basically, the, the, the Reformers, people like Martin Luther and John Calvin and the other Reformers, you know, they taught that it was important to work. They even said if you were wealthy, you still had to work. You couldn't just sit around. And they said you should take the money you make and reinvest it so that you build your business larger and then you employ more people and more people flourish. I mean, that was their mindset, that everybody worked, and, and that you reinvested your money back into your businesses, you know, that you didn't put your money in a big account and wait until you had enough and then just not work and just sit in your easy chair the rest of the life. I mean, they said, you know, that that's just not what the Scripture teaches. Here's an interesting thing. There's nothing about retirement in the Scriptures. Except for Levitical priests. That's it. That's it. And they really didn't retire. They quit working, physical work, but they still had to be there to train the young guys. So I think, you know, we've got this warped idea of what the product of our work is supposed to be. We think we work for ourselves. The Scripture says we work for other people. We work first for God, but then we work for other people. Martin Luther, another one of my favorite quotes from him, and he was, this guy was just brilliant. He said, you know, we're all called to love God and love our neighbor. He said the number one way you love your neighbor is by doing your job well. Mm. And that says so much. And that's really what we call, I, I challenge people towards the end of the show to join the I Work For Him Nation. And one of the things, praying for your coworkers and employees each and every day by, by name. And, and the last thing is doing your job with excellence so that other people will ask you, why? Absolutely. Why? Why do you do this? Even though nobody's looking, you're still doing a good job. 
That's yeah. and that's really what it is. Doing your job well. Okay, now in my mind, my opinion, I'm not an economist, and that's why I can't argue with you about the China thing because I've had those same thoughts. But you know, because you're the economist, yeah. I'm not. Is going back to. It feels like we're pre-Reformation again. It feels like we've gotten to the point in the United States of America because most pastors and priests are not bivocational here, where in most countries they are. It feels like we're pre-Reformation again where people have secular versus sacred, and people are, are being told you know, in their churches, well, you go out and get a job. We want your donations, and we want you to volunteer when you're in the church. But they're not being challenged that their workplace is their mission field. How do we get back there all over again 500 years later? We do it by doing things like you're doing, you know, by, by taking this message and taking it out to people, by showing people what the Scripture really says about work and the importance of work. And I think that, um, I mean, this sounds, may sounds crazy, but, you know, I think we need another Reformation in this country. I mean, when you, I've talked to a lot of Christians that are discouraged, they're, they're, they're worried that, you know, everything's going in the wrong direction. And, and I, I remind them, it's always darkest right before the dawn. Amen. And I think God wants to have another mighty move in this country, and I think it's going to start in the workplace. I agree. I agree. Hey, we're talking with Hugh Welsh from the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics about his book, Monday Morning Success. You can get a copy of it, free copy today, an ebook at mondaymorningsuccess.com, right online, mondaymorningsuccess.com. That's pretty easy, but if you're driving, just wait till you get home, mondaymorningsuccess.com. We'll post it on Facebook tonight and on our webpage. All right, so just maybe you've got an example for us of somebody who's gotten that perspective change when they realized that their work was for the master, our heavenly yeah. father, as opposed to themselves. Yeah. Tell me, tell me somebody whose life was changed. Yeah. Let, let me give you one example. I, I went to Missoula, Montana and did a conference on this and, and it spoke to a large group from four or five churches on a Friday night and a Saturday. Then I actually preached at a couple of their churches on Sunday. And I was at one of the preaching, I was preaching at one of the classes of churches on Sunday. And a guy came up to me and said, look, he said, I'm 57 years old. He said, I wash dishes for a living. He said, I came, became a Christian about 10 years ago. He said, I thought that the only thing I could do was occasionally witness to people at work. He said, but I'm way in the back of the kitchen. He said, no one ever comes back to where I am. And he says, if what you say is true, and I mean, tears are streaming down his face when he's telling mm. me this. He said, if what you said is true, then every dish I wash in ways I don't completely understand brings glory to God and serves my fellow man and brings flourishing to my community. And he said, if that's true, it makes all the difference. And I said, it's what God tells us in the Scripture. And, and so, you know, he, all of a sudden, his work, watching dishes, was completely transformed because now he saw there was so much more to what he could do than he thought. And it's true with everybody, no matter what you do. And I can tell you, you know, story after story after story about people we've talked to. People have come on our website and started reading our blog and have written to us and said, you know, once I really begin to believe this, once I understood what success looked like from God's perspective, it's radically changed my life. You are going all over the world, all over the country, talking about the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics and, and trying to get people engaged in the conversation and really bringing the challenge back to the culture that our work matters, that, that from our work we can feel God's pleasure. As, as Eric Liddell said in, in Chariots of Fire, I, I love that, that line, because when I'm on the air, I feel that. And again, I never thought about it until again, until I read your book, How Then Should We Work? And that was a little over a year and a half ago that I read your book that, wow, when I'm behind the, the microphone, 
microphone. Never in my life have I felt this way. It's so much fun. How how has this changed your life, Hugh? How has this yeah, concept yeah. made an impact on you? Yeah, it, it's. I mean, I mean, I struggled with this 20 years ago, and once I began to realize how this fit, it changed everything. It changed the way I worked. It changed the way I looked at work. And I was running computer companies back then. And then, interesting enough, God called me out of that to go run a seminary, which I had no idea what I was doing. And luckily, God bailed me out of that. Then he called me out of that to come start this nonprofit. And I was begging him to let me go back into the, into the workspace. But he said, no, I've got one more thing I want you to do. And, you know, the other thing, he's raising other people up all over this country that have this mess, same similar message about the importance of works. It's just not us. God's raising people up all over because I think it's such a critically important message. But there's one interesting thing about that um, that quote from the uh, from the, the from Chariots of Fire. Uh, he, he says, "God made me fast, and I, when I feel His pleasure, I feel His pleasure when I run." And we all quote that and hear that hear pastors quote that, but no one that quotes the next line. He says, "And when we win, or when I win, I honor Him." See, when we're successful, we honor our Savior. And we're talking with Hugh Welchel from the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics about his book. It's an e-book out there today. MondayMorningSuccess.com is where you can get a free copy. MondayMorningSuccess.com. Hugh, as we close out the show today, you, you mentioned in your article that God takes the most mundane things and transforms them into kingdom work. And you just gave example of a dishwasher who was able to glorify God with how he washed dishes. How do you see this impacting our culture if more people understand this? I think as Christians, right, we need to go into the workplace and not do what most Christians do. Most Christians go into the workplace, they spout a few Bible verses at their fellow co-workers, and then they just work like everybody else. We've got to understand what the biblical meaning of success is all about, and it means that we go into the workplace, we take our job seriously. We don't see it as we're working for the boss. We're working for our Lord and Master. It's He that we want to please, and that brings a whole different light to everything we do. We take the, the resources, the opportunities God gives us, and we try to maximize those for his return. In other words, we work as hard as we can to do the best at doing what he's called us to do, and whether it be at our work at home, our work in the church, our work in our vocational jobs. All those things are important, and we're to work hard at all of them. And if we do that, if we're faithful, and we do that every day, even when it seems like nobody's looking, God will reward us. We'll begin to feel a deep sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in our work. And let me tell you, you read all the studies, that's the one thing people are looking for that they cannot find. Yeah, that's for sure. They, and I they, think that's the secret. I mean, it, it sounds simple. Now, admittedly, I know it's hard to do, right, because there's so many things that want to drag us away from that perspective. But that's the key. And, and then we have to be very careful not to compare ourselves with the other people in the cubicles beside us or the other people that are in jobs similar to us, because we're different. Everyone has been given different talents and different resources and different opportunities. And success for you is about doing what you've been called to do with excellence, not what somebody else is doing. Hugh Walsh with the Institute of Faith, Work, and Economics. Thank you so much for being here on I Work For Him. Yes, sir. It's been a pleasure. How would you learn today about how you're going to take your city for Jesus Christ? What'd you learn today?
You know, we learned today that it really matters what we do. The, the Lord has equipped each one of us differently with a different set of gifts, talents, and abilities. And talents meaning He's given us the ability to make money. He's given us specific skills to do what we do each and every day. And He's done that so we can bring Him glory with everything that we do. And one of the ways we can do that is doing our job with excellence. You don't have to be a street preacher to, to bring glory to God. You do your job with excellence. And if you do your job with excellence, if you do your job for the glory of the Lord, people are going to notice. People are going to step up and go, Jim, why do you do what you do? And, and why do you do it with such fervency? We've got such huge opportunities to bring glory to the Lord. Here's one way. Go out to iWorkForHim.com tonight and sign up and join the I Work For Him nation and start praying for your coworkers and employees and be that servant in your workplace. It's going to make a difference. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. Let's keep in mind, I own my own business, but ultimately, I work for him. <laughs> <laughs>